Hello, my name is Joshua Gallinato and welcome to the Lifelong Learning Podcast. If I'm going to be honest with you, I created this podcast to give myself an excuse to reach out to cool, interesting and successful individuals so that I can have a conversation with them and potentially learn something new. Hence the name Lifelong Learning. Today's episode is no different. I got the opportunity to sit down with Calvin Rosser. Calvin is a writer, startup operator and surfer that is on a mission to empower 10 million people to live a more fulfilling life. Whether it's through his writing, podcast, scholarships or his weekly newsletters, Calvin provides some great resources that opens up your mind and improve the quality of your life. His 10 second bio goes a little something like this. I grew up poor in a single parent home, worked my ass off, studied at Princeton, lost my mentor to cardiac arrest, worked on Wall Street grew a business while traveling the world, lost my mom to suicide, and ignited my mission to empower 10 million people to live a more fulfilling life. If you're seeking change or want to nurture your mind, I strongly recommend you check out his site over at calvinrosser.com. Don't forget, if you'd like to check out any of today's show notes or useful links, you can find them over at galliway.blog forward slash podcast. That's galliway, G-A-L-I-W-A-Y dot blog forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy today's episode with Calvin Rosser. Calvin, thank you for coming on to the show. It's a pleasure. Cool. So I'm going to go straight into it. And um, on your blog, you talk about that you are on a mission to empower 10 million people to live a more fulfilling life. And we talked about this off air a few days ago, and I asked you about how you quantify it. And you, you chuckled because you... You always get you always seem to get that question, but you gave me a really nice response about something along the lines that you you know when you know yeah, that's right so uh, I started that mission in late 2017 and basically I wanted to orient my life towards contributing more. I just find that dedicating myself in an external way is is a way to help me live a fulfilling life and so I set this mission to help 10 million people and the whole idea behind the mission is, you know, if I, whether I hit 10 million or not, I, I think at some point I will know. And the mission is set up that way so that I have something big to strive for, but I think it's small enough to be achievable. And I don't go around counting all of the responses. And it's, it's funny because the way I structure it is people will write to me and say, Hey, you can count me as part of the 10 million. And I'm not keeping the ticker, but as you mentioned, I think <laughs> I'll, I'll kind of know when, when I know. Yeah, I like that. And I want to go into it a little bit. So you say you want to empower these people. What in your mind is, sorry, let me rephrase that. How are you actually empowering these people? That's a great question. So a lot of the work that I've done on the mission so far is through writing. That's primarily how I work on this. And I think in the empower, what I mean by empowering is I want to give people the tools, the resources, the frameworks, the things that will help them come to the conclusions that they need to do in their own life, whether that's through reflection, through action, through creating new habits, et cetera. And the idea is just to give you, you know, a voice of someone who's thinking a lot about this, who's gone through some things and who's going through other things and just trying to give you a candid look at how I've dealt with some of these problems. And my hope is that, you know, some small percentage of that is used uh, by anyone who wants to follow to incorporate in their own life. And generally speaking, if someone comes out 1% better from reading my work, I think that's a that's a great win. Yeah, I totally agree. It's the same approach. It's the same mindset that I have with this podcast and everything that I've created. If I can touch the lives of just even one person, um, I think I've achieved my goal as well. Um, 
Going uh, again into the whole empowering 10 million people, you talk about to live a more fulfilling life and you kind of touch upon it in your previous answer. Um, In your eyes, what is a fulfilling life? That's a great question. So personally, I think a fulfilling life, meaning for myself, is if I end up on my deathbed tomorrow or 50 years from now, I want to be there without any regrets. And ideally along the way, I've been joyful, contribution oriented and helped others along their path. That to me is thematically kind of my sense of what I think will be a fulfilling life for me. I think for other people, it's up to them to decide. And that's the cool thing about fulfillment is you start with this blank slate and you say, hey, what do I want my life to be? And you have to come up with you know, answers to that really difficult and ambiguous question. So I think it looks really different for all kinds of people. You may want to build a billion dollar business. You may want to be a doctor who spends lots of one-on-one time with patients. There's all kinds of things that may, may or may not work for you. But I think the point is to just get started on the journey and start figuring out what it is that is working for you and, and not following some predefined path that maybe aligns with the expectations of your parents or others and, and doesn't actually kind of bring you joy on a daily basis. Yeah, I like that answer. I mean, I think we're, we're all victims of it, of the society or the environment dictating the way we live our lives. And like you said, parents and friends um, are a big factor to that as well. Um, but I can see what you're saying about having a, a fulfilled life is something what you want, right? Something that you have to think about yourself, which requires a lot of self-reflection. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm still figuring it out for myself as well. But I think there's this trap is that people fall into is, you know, of listening to others, what, uh, what defines a fulfilling life, there's a classic narrative, at least in the Western world of, you know, you make money, and you go get a bunch of stuff, and then you retire and you have this nice life. And I think it turns out that that doesn't work for a lot of people. And what matters more is kind of how you make your money and how you operate on your day to day basis. And what are what are the quality of relationships that you have. Those are the things that tend to be more important than sort of the, you know, story of success that's painted all over the place. You touched upon um, how you make your money. I wanted to uh, talk about this um, a little later, but since you talked about that now, I'll bring this question forward. You said that, I remember reading some of your work when you said that you you, um, applied for a marketing role that allowed you to be a digital nomad but you actually had no prior experience to marketing and what made you go for that? And how did you even get that job? Sure. Um, So I'll take you back about five years. I was an investment banker in New York and that was a great first job out of college. I earned a great salary and sort of found my financial footing. But at the end of the day, I found the job pretty empty and unfulfilling. So I, I wanted to look for something else. And I expanded myself to the world of startups just because I saw a couple of friends who were doing really cool things. There was one friend who was getting tons of career growth and he was traveling the world at the same time. He had gone to like 10, 12 countries working remotely. And I just thought that was so cool. So I started talking to him about what he was doing at his company. And it just so happens that I initially applied to a sales role at that company. The hiring manager for sales didn't think I was a good fit, but piped me over to the growth marketing team. And I ended up in this hiring process to be a a generalist growth marketer. I had no idea what growth marketing was at the time. And (laughs) they were just open to hiring someone who was smart and willing to learn and kind of hungry to 
to learn the fundamentals of growing a business. And I found myself in growth marketing. And to be honest, during the first three months, I just worked my tail off because I didn't know if I would succeed. I, I had no idea what I was doing. And it, it turns out that a lot of things in life, if you just work hard and put your head down and, and focus on them, even if you don't have prior experience, you can you can do quite well. And the same is true for for most of my career pivots that I've made. Yeah, that's very interesting. So effectively, you were learning on the job. Yeah. And the same the same was true for my first job out of college as a banker. I knew nothing about finance. I studied public policy in school. And, uh, you know, I, th I think if you're just kind of curious, you can learn a lot and, and do really well. And in some ways, that curiosity helps you versus had you known a lot through experience. Yeah, I love that. I love that mentality. But I always fall victim to the imposter syndrome when I actually just don't think I know what I know. And I think I, everyone will find out that I'm a fake. Uh, especially when you're learning on the job, because I've been in situations like that before. Um, and I remember reading in, art in one of your articles, you said, don't get distracted by the tempting path of comparing yourself with your peers. And man, I, I fall victim to that all the time. Even to this day, I've learned so much about myself, but I still compare myself to other people. How do you handle that? Well, that's a tough one. <laughs> I think on the, on the comparison side, the work that I've done there is just trying to build my own self-worth from an internal perspective instead of looking to others for validation. And I think there's just different challenges with this. You know, I see, I have a lot of very, very successful friends. And sometimes I find myself saying, you know, why haven't I achieved that? But then I go back and, and look at my life and I say, well, you know, I'm living the life that I want for the most part, and I'm doing a pretty good job here. And that's really what matters. It's not the external achievement or the validation there. So on, on that front, that's how I deal with it. And on imposter syndrome, I definitely feel that from time to time. I felt it most when I was leading a, a team of 10 for the first time. And I was, as, as a manager, I was the youngest person on the team. And it was just, you know, I made a lot of mistakes and it was really hard to do something like that. But I, again, just kind of had this belief in myself. And interestingly, I, I go back to my childhood and I think where some of that comes from is I had a mom who was just unbelievably supportive and she would literally say things like, I'll love you whether you <laughs> go to jail or become a millionaire. And she actually <laughs> meant that. And I think that some part of that belief just kind of carries with me and has always allowed me to just keep going through things, even when they're incredibly difficult. Yeah, I love that. I remember reading one of your articles about your mom. Uh, which we'll talk about in a second, but you said that um, she had absolute and unshakable, excuse me, she had absolute and unshakable belief in you. And I can imagine um, just someone believing you or someone uh, in your corner is just, is always great to have in terms of a support. Absolutely. And I didn't, I didn't appreciate it until later in my life as well, because you don't, you know, you don't know what the alternative is, which is someone not believing you or someone telling you what you're doing is not good enough. And yeah, it just so happens that her approach there, which was just based on, you know, pure love and kind of support, I think has served me really well throughout my, my career. So I want to talk to you about your mom. Um, so you uh, recently lost her a few years ago, am I correct in saying? Yeah, at the end of 2017. And you wrote an article, you lost it to suicide. So I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry to, to 
to read that actually because you've you've written uh some powerful articles about your experience with that and your thoughts about it in fact i remember we were talking about it a few days ago and i was saying this is the first article genuinely that actually brought me to tears because it was just so vulnerable so um thought-provoking just very uh yeah like i said you just put yourself out there and, and the things you shared were really powerful and um but thank you for that but yeah how did you feel writing and and releasing that article i found that you know my mom's suicide is probably one of the defining events of my life in terms of you know, really, really thinking deeply about what life is about and going through something that is far more painful than anything else I've experienced. And I ended up writing about it, not necessarily by choice, but I just I found writing to be an important part of my healing process. There's something about getting the words on the page in a way that other people could understand and relate to that helped me internalize my own feelings. And so there was this series of articles starting with know her eulogy to finding meaning in in death and suffering and then eventually I wrote a piece about her path to suicide and my thoughts on that in the broader narrative of there's millions of people committing suicide each year and it's just an absolute tragedy but each of the time I wrote these pieces I myself ended up in tears because you just go through memory lane and you realize that you've lost your mom who was your biggest supporter I didn't didn't grow up with a dad and I remember the last piece I wrote about this, I was sitting in a Starbucks cafe in New York right before I started another job. And I had about a week to to write stuff. And I decided to undertake this piece. And every morning I go to the Starbucks and, you know, sit there in this crowded New York Starbucks in Williamsburg, writing this really difficult piece and, you know, going basically until I, I was in tears myself and then walking home and, and saying, hey, I did my work today. And, and eventually I got that piece out and I think it came out okay. <laughs> okay is uh an understatement um but yeah it, it i too i remember i was sharing experience that i have suffered a, a loss as well but nothing compared to losing a mum. but that was a defining point of my life as well because that's when i realized that life is finite and that i'm kind of just wasting my life away um i mean i was i was doing stuff before then and i was you know being productive and i was trying to achieve things but it really hit home that like I'm not here forever. It it's it's going to end. I feel that every day. <laughs> probably probably too much for for an average person, but I I also lost a mentor. I lost a dog early on, which was difficult for me because I moved around a lot and the dog was this continuation of of friendship and I think these experiences with uh, my mentor's death, my mom's death, they've just reminded me of exactly what you just said, which is life is so short and precarious. And it's one thing to say that, but these experiences help me feel that on a very deep visceral level. And so it's really hard for me to find myself doing something that I don't enjoy for too long or hanging out with someone who, you know, is, is not really a, a good person to be around. I'd rather rid my life of, you know, the noise and the negativity and, and say, okay, I don't know how much time I have here. I genuinely think it could be a day or could be 50 60 years it it's unclear to me and so i try to make the most of each day while still being practical and and planning for the future yeah i like that um although i want to play devil's advocate because you said that you know um if a if a negative relationship isn't doing it for you you're you're quick to to leave it 
how quick do you leave? Because, you know, if you if you give it enough time and you nurture it, maybe it is something of a fulfilling relationship. Definitely. I'm not I'm definitely not one to cut friendships out of my life in some sort of um, scissor cut type of way. I think it's just I'm very. I'm very thoughtful about who I spend my time with, and if I'm meeting someone and for whatever reason, I feel like the energy is not amazing. I spend that first, you know, couple of experiences trying to get to know the person, seeing if my initial judgment is wrong or something. But if it's just not working out, then, you know, I just won't kind of continue trying to build that friendship or relationship because it's not worth it. I already have a lot of amazing friends and and family and I want to keep open minded. But at the same time, I don't want to, you know, keep doing things that don't really serve me and uh and the health of my overall relationships yeah i like that mentality you talked upon uh, you touched on your mentor uh howard sherman and you how you lost him but i noticed in a lot of your work you seem to go on the theme of paying it forward did that come from howard that came directly from howard so quick backstory i grew up quite poor in orlando my mom made I think twelve to fourteen thousand dollars per year, depending on the year, and so you know that wasn't much to support a family. And for whatever reason, as a kid, I really developed this ambition to go to an amazing school and to get to the best school possible. And so by the time I was sixteen, I was you know telling family about this, and I ended up getting connected with this guy Howard, who was a counselor, but he had a son that went to Harvard. And I went into his office. I told him my story for two hours, and for some reason, this guy just believed in me. And he met he met with me every week for the next year, year and a half, taught me about the Ivy League admissions process. He helped me write essays. He flew me to Harvard. Um, you know, later he would give me jobs that paid me money so that I could, you know, live my life. And he even flew me abroad for my first trip abroad. So this guy had this kind of profound, uh, larger than life impact on my life with just a, a few thousand dollars and some dedicated time. And he ended up passing suddenly after a, a surgery didn't go as well as as we had planned. But one of the things he always told me is, hey, if you ever make it, you you need to pay it forward. That's your responsibility. And that's the only thing I ask of you from everything that I've done is just find a way to pay it forward. And so that stuck with me very deeply because I don't think my life would have been nearly the same without his assistance and support. And I think about that all the time. And it it fuels a lot of my work and the mission is based on paying it forward. So I can't discount the role that Howard had in my life and in this message of paying it forward. It's just so important. Such a great uh, relationship to have when like your mother, just another person believing in you. Yeah. And what was crazy amazing about Howard was, you know, my mom believed in me, but she struggled with depression and couldn't really guide me on some of the ambitions that I had. And here comes this guy who I don't know, who has traveled the world, who is, you know, rolling in circles that I want to roll in. And he just kind of helped me become an insider and, and showed me all of my blind spots. And by the way, he expanded my worldview. At the time, I had a crazy conservative family. Uh, I don't mean they're crazy, but they, they were a very, cons <laughs> very conservative family. So uh, Howard was extremely liberal. And I think that was shown through you know, the way he supported other people as well. And so he exposed me to just new worldviews and, and we would 
we would actually mostly just sit for hours debating politics, economics, and all of these things. And I think he had a, a lot of fun doing that too with with me, who was somewhat of a, a stubborn, opinionated kid about some of these things. And those conversations really helped me become a better thinker and, and, and started to open my mind. I read in your article uh, about um, Howard, how he the only thing he asked for was a ticket for your graduation at Princeton, but he passed away a year before it, which is, I'm so sad to hear. So sad to read, sorry. That was kind of a disaster. He, yeah, so one of the things is he he had this son that went to Harvard and, you know, I got into Princeton and he was just so proud of me to have done that. And he's like, you know, the only thing I want is a graduation ticket. And it, it just so happens that these are hard to come by because they only give you four and it's it's quite a small campus. So you, you balance giving it to family and and all of that. And so he just wanted one of those tickets. And actually the year before he had, he had planned a trip to come to Princeton to visit, but his wife got sick and he had to cancel it last minute. So he never, never ended up making it. And, you know, it would have been amazing to have him there. But as you mentioned, he passed the year before and I just sort of just honored his memory through dedicating part of my life to the lessons that he taught me. Well, you pay it forward in several different ways. And I saw that you have a a scholarship program titled Life Reimagined Scholarship. Can you talk more about that? Definitely. So one of the things I've thought increasingly amount as my own about as my own financial security has increased is how can I best use my time and, and resources to give back? And so I have this mission to help people and I can work on it in lots of different ways. So writing is one of them, you know, podcasting is another one. And then some element of that, I wanted to actually give my, uh, my money away in a way that felt good. But for me, just donating to a random charity doesn't, it doesn't feel right in terms of a form of giving. So I was seeking out ways to do that. And I stumbled upon this idea of giving back through scholarships. So last year, I launched three scholarships. One is for first generation students, another for women in technology, and another for mental health awareness. Those are just three things that I personally care about. And I have the opportunity now every year to give a student some amount of capital and mentorship who is within these different areas of, of interest. And I think it's just a really, really cool way to give back. And it's felt, it's felt so good. Um, I just awarded the winner for my first generation student scholarship, which gives a thousand dollars in a year of mentorship. And the girl who won it is just phenomenal. She's gone through all of these crazy things and has this very empowered mindset and is just a hard worker. And it's great to be able to connect with her and to offer her any advice I might be able to. But I get a lot out of this form of giving too. And I think it's, you know, one of those that I want to continue to scale up. I could imagine in the next year I have 10 scholarships and that's likely what I'll end up doing. That's so cool. You talked about your podcast and I mentioned to you for the life of me, I'm hardwired, hardwired <laughs> to not to swear. So I cannot use profanity, but can you tell me what the name of your podcast is? Absolutely. It's the, <laughs> the shit you don't learn in school podcast. Cool. So can we talk about this, uh, the stuff that you don't learn in school? Um, so I, I came from an inner London school, learned a lot of stuff. Um, you came from Princeton. And I can imagine that in Princeton, you are taught so many things. Um, what did you not learn from Princeton? I think Princeton is a great 
a great introduction to how to think about really hard problems in a constructive way. And that's, that's a great skill to have if you go in, for example, if you go into a job where you don't know how to do the actual job and you just need to figure it out. So that, that has helped me do some of those types of things. But when it comes to the practical day-to-day things that you deal with in, in your personal and professional life, whether it's um, how to decide what to do with your money, how do you give back? How do you repair a relationship that's been broken? How do you deal with the way in which your childhood trauma impacts your relationships negatively? There's all of these very practical skills that are just so important towards building a fulfilling life. And I feel that you know school does a really terrible job of teaching us these things. And often we're dependent on the relationships, the friendships, the family members, whoever's immediately around us to help us solve these problems. But I find that those people may not always be the best to actually help you solve those problems. And so, you know, I found a lot of education and resources through just reading books of great authors. And that's how I've solved a lot of my problems in my own life. And this podcast exists to share some of the things that I've learned and hopefully provide another perspective on just these practical day-to-day things that matter a lot towards our well-being. Yeah, that's cool. One of your first episodes was talking about your your morning routines. Um, I'm actually quite curious. Do you actually have any new habits that you've incorporated into your life that are fulfilling? I think one of the most fulfilling things that I've picked up in the last year, which you could call it a habit or just a hobby, but is surfing. I found I had surfed a couple of times in my early 20s and I just I felt this alert to the sport. And then finally, I ended up kind of having this dream where I'm like, I need to live by a beach and I, I need to surf. And so I've spent the last six months or so uh, figuring out a way to live near a beach town and, and to surf a lot. And I've probably surfed 100 times during that period. And there's just something magical about this practice that actually combines a lot of uh, the things that I had done before through its effects. And so when I surf, I'm, I'm present. I'm not thinking about work. I sort of lose myself in a fully engaged way to waves. And afterwards, I have this almost immense clarity and sense of, of well-being. And I used to get at that through meditation, journaling, reading, et cetera. And I still do those things. But surfing is almost this just magical, magical experience that I would call a new habit that has changed my life. Yeah, that's really interesting. I was going to ask... You talked about being present and and having that, and you got that from journaling and you got that from meditation. But in terms of, I can imagine when you surf, you're going to have to be focused. You have to really focus in and and zero in on what you're doing right then and there. But how do you transfer that focus, that immense focus into like a work or a working environment or a project-based environment where you need to have that immense focus on something that's really you know, boring or it's not, it's not really fulfilling you and your brain and it's not giving you the amount of pleasure. How do you force yourself to, fo- uh, to focus on those kind of tasks? It's, it's hard sometimes. I think one way to think about it is what are, the, what are the reasons that you're not able to focus? And if you can pinpoint those down, then you might be able to find a solution in that case. For example, if you find your work deeply unfulfilling and so you're pretty apathetic or you're not ambitious about it, then you know you can reframe your mind about your work or you could 
potentially find a new job or work. And that's a great signal that you need to be doing something else. But I find that no matter what you do, there are still plenty of times where you need to do something that you don't necessarily want to do. And the way that I try to help myself get through that is to ask myself questions like, what is it that I will learn through getting through this? Or how can I find meaning in this experience? Uh, Whether that's actually just helping a colleague, maybe I've made a colleague's life easier by picking up some of their work and doing something that I didn't really want to do. And then the other reality is that sometimes you just have to put your head down and and grind through something you don't want to do. Wouldn't recommend doing that every day of your life if you can avoid that because you'll burn yourself out. But, you know, sometimes we got to do stuff we don't want to do. And that's that's just the reality of life. It's definitely not all butterflies and rainbows every day. I think I am a victim of burnout. I've I've had that several times. I think I'm even going through one right now. Um, but I think I get burnout because I I'm such a big proponent on consistency. And so I force myself to stay consistent and do it every day, make sure I always do it. And then when I miss it, or sometimes I just get bored of the consistency, I just burn out. Do you have any tips on staying consistent and not burning out? I struggle with the same thing. And I think it's about asking yourself of the things that you've committed to being consistent, which of them are still serving you. I'll give you a couple examples. I've written a newsletter every day for a couple of years. And even though there are weeks where I don't necessarily want to write the newsletter, I actually almost always enjoy the experience. And so last night, I had not written my Sunday newsletter, and it was 9pm. And I'm like, do I really want to spend my 9pm to whatever writing this thing? And I'm like, yeah, I committed to this. I actually enjoy it. I found that, you know, I was able to create something that was mildly interesting. And that was cool. But other things, I've actually dropped them. So I was a huge, huge goal setter for my entire life. And I used to, you know, track all of my habits and my routines, literally in spreadsheets. And at some point, the maintenance of tracking my habits and setting goals, and just being on top of my life, actually started detracting from my life. And I said, instead of, you know, working in such a structured way towards achievement, I'm going to set a broad vision, I'm going to check in periodically, but I'm no longer going to do this kind of obsessive checking because it's not serving me anymore. Most of the things that that checking had done was allow me to create the habits that I needed to get to where I wanted to go. And once I had those habits, I didn't need to do the quarterly or weekly goal setting and all of these very structured reviews. So I dropped those habits despite having this exact feeling that you're talking about, which is uh, I wanted to keep consistent and keep doing it. But I think you need to drop things over time because I burn out as well. And it's a, it's a big, big problem. And I think you can can help mitigate it by dropping things. Yeah, that's what I've actually, it's a, something I've learned as well along the way that I need to be okay with just pivoting or just moving from it and just um, not putting all my energy into this new way of thinking. Um, I think it's a bit, it's a little bit of being adaptable I, uh, and, and understanding that, okay, this is a new way of uh, thinking, go in and think like that get what I can get from it, which is valuable, and then move away to the next thing. Um, I guess that's what I'm doing right now, but I'm not sure if that's right. But I guess I'll see along the way. Definitely. And there's all kinds of, you know, things in life that happen that change your priorities. If you have a kid, maybe you just don't have the time anymore to do the things that you used to be able to do when you uh, didn't have a kid. And you may actually want to do those things, but 
you say, Hey, my highest priority is raising an awesome kid and, and giving my full presence and attention there. And that's a totally reasonable thing to do. And that may require you to drop five awesome things that you also want to do. Yeah, I totally agree. I think life is going to change dramatically when I eventually have a child. Um, that's a scary thing. <laughs> <laughs> Almost certainly. Before you go, um, I would like to ask two more questions, if that's okay with you. Sure. So are there any tools that help you that uh, to stay on top of your day? I have always kept just a simple to-do list. And essentially, I have a running list of all the things I need to do. And at the beginning of the day, or usually the night before as well, I'll just create a smaller list of the things that I want to do that day. Often that changes if my priorities change throughout the day, but it gives me a rough idea of the things I want to accomplish. And if I find myself going through too many days where I'm not accomplishing the to-do list of the day, then I know that you know I need to change something about how I'm thinking about my priorities or about how I'm spending my day. And so that just a simple to-do list, I know that's not incredibly helpful, but that works for me. And also breaking up my day a little bit has been helpful for me to keep on top of it. So I've never been able to work just a pure nine to five grind. I often find myself getting extremely exhausted in the afternoon. And so I take that time to meditate, to read, to go for a run, to go for a surf. And thankfully I work remotely and have flexible hours and, and, and judge based on results and not just when I'm sitting in front of the computer. So just breaking up my day and actually if I'm not being productive, stepping away and saying, this doesn't make sense to keep banging my head on the, on the computer and I should just step away and, and come back later. Yeah. I incorporate both of those uh, modes of thinking. I, uh, uh, I like to use Trello to do my to-do list and I try to get my partner um, in on it. And for the life of me, she, well, no, she's actually, she's accepting it now, but at the beginning she just kept on thinking it was just a long to-do list and it was just going to go it's just kept on going on forever and ever and ever but it helps me and she's actually getting used to it now um but again you know she might drop it and have her own way of thinking and the in terms of taking breaks i totally agree i think i don't think you do yourself yourself a service by banging your head on the wall and just trying to solve the problems breaks are just as important as working and that's what i've noticed so my last question calvin is I'm always interested with this question because I want to know, like I asked this question because I talk to a lot of people who are productive and they get their work done, but I want to know what distracts you the most and takes you away from your productivity. <laughs> it's a long list. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of my distractions as it relates to work are just on things that are sometimes more fun than work. Like I love hanging out with friends and I, as I mentioned, love going surfing. I love hanging out with my girlfriend. I love picking up a book. And all of these things are accessible to me most of the time because I live a pretty flexible work life. And so, you know, sometimes it's easy to just get distracted with that. I try not to consume too much news. Right now, that's changed a little bit as I've tried to stay on top of developments in coronavirus and how that, that may play out in the economy and stuff. But for the most part, I'm not spending my time on Instagram or, or Twitter or any of these things. I sometimes will go down small rabbit holes there, but I find that, you know, I'm more likely to pick up a book or take a nap or go for a surf than, than to be scrolling on, on social media. 
Yeah, that's cool. I actually ditched social media like maybe eight years ago, so I don't have that problem. So it kind of, I find it hilarious when people get down, <laughs> go down that rabbit hole. It's probably um, probably have, good for your soul. Yeah, everyone says that. So uh, I, I just have no idea. But anyway, Calvin, thank you so much for coming onto the show. Um, can you direct people uh, if they want to find you? Sure. Yeah, the best way to find me is at calvinrosser, R-O-S-S-E-R.com. And if you want to stay updated, my weekly newsletter is called Life Reimagined. It's where I share resources. It's where I send the latest of all of my work, whether it's the podcast or a piece of writing. And that's where you'll hear most of my thoughts and where I direct most of my energy. So you can go to calvinrosser.com forward slash newsletter to sign up for that. But at a high level, it's designed to help you improve the quality of your life. And it comes out once a week. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Calvin. I just want to say thank you for uh, the amount, the work that you put out there and just being so vulnerable and sharing your um, insecurities and everything. Cause it's hard to talk about mental health. It's t- it's hard to talk about just past experiences, uh, past experiences that didn't go well. So thank you for that. And um, I look forward to more of your work. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And appreciate you having me on. Thanks again for listening to today's podcast with Calvin Rosser. Don't forget, if you want to find all the relevant links and show notes, you can find them over at galleyway.blog forward slash podcast. That's galleyway, G-A-L-I-W-A-Y dot blog forward slash podcast. Thanks again, and I will see you in the next one.